here and, and, and to be among you all to worship our great King and Creator with you. Uh, by way of introduction, uh, Brother Dingley told you a little bit about me again. Uh, my name is Justin Hopkins. I'm a graduate of the Southwest School of Bible Studies in Austin. Uh, since graduating, uh, I've been preaching for small congregations in Texas, initially down in the South Texas Hill Country, and now I'm in uh, Itasca, which is exactly halfway between Fort Worth and Waco. So uh, close enough that I can go to the Magnolia Silos, but not so close that I'm in the middle of it. And uh, in all that I do, I've tried to keep a focus on evangelism. Because if there's one thing that we as Christians are to do, it is to share the good news about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ with those who are outside the body so that they can share the hope that we have. And so it is uh, to that end. One of the things that, that I did that was mentioned earlier is uh, I worked together with some other friends, and we put together a series of of evangelistic Bible lessons. It seemed rather odd to me that you know, we had different uh, study methods and evangelistic tools that you could use to bring a soul into Christ. And then while they were drawing on the steps of the baptistry, you had to go find something different to study with that new convert. That seemed odd to me. So this is a series of 17 lessons. Uh, the first three lessons bring a soul into Christ. The next 14 establish that soul's faith and prepare them to share that faith with others, continuing the same way that you studied with them to bring them into Christ. And these are available for free uh, to anybody who wants to use them. Uh, they're being used in several places here in America, also in Ireland, and now in Africa as well. And uh, as, as was mentioned, I was uh, co-founder of Azimuth Media. That's a 501c3 uh, nonprofit. And we publish uh, biblically sound Bible study books, uh, Bible class curriculum, and, and resources and tools. A uh, number of things I've been excited to be able to, to bring to bear for the Lord's Church. We've got a one-year Bible class curriculum. goes through the Bible four times uh, for all ages. And uh, several uh, study books for new converts and uh, for, for deeper study as well. One of our newer titles by Brother Nathan Franson, uh, Breaking the Chains. He came out of the Mormon faith. And so if you're dealing with somebody who's caught in that system of false religion, this is a great tool uh, to be able to understand where that soul is and effectively reach them and bring them out of that error and reach them with the truth. And, there, and there's a number of other things I've just been blessed and privileged uh, to be a part of along with that. And uh, as Brother Dingley mentioned, I, I do tend to keep busy. And somewhere along the way, about three years ago, my wife said, what's your hobby? I said, what do you mean my hobby? I, I, I preach and I write books and I, I publish. I don't have a hobby. She said, no, you need a hobby. I guess I was underfoot, I, I, I don't know. Uh, but she got me a hobby. She got me into roasting coffee. And so now I, I have a hobby. I roast coffee. It's available in a couple of grocery stores and a couple of coffee shops. And you can get it online if you like coffee, that sort of thing. So I, I have a hobby now. It's, it's grown legs a bit. Um, more on that in a minute. But again, you know, we need to be focused on the Great Commission. You know, Matthew chapter 28, beginning verse 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And we look at those four alls, the fact that Jesus Christ has all authority. 
And based on that all authority, we have a responsibility to share that message with all nations and teach them to do not just some, but all of the things that our Lord has commanded. But here's the exciting part. With that command is a promise, isn't there? When we go with Him, when we're busy about His business, He goes with us. How often? Always. Even until He comes back. And that's exciting. And uh, one of the things that I believe is, is very effective in doing that is what Paul talked about in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. He says, The things that you have heard of me among many faithful witnesses, or among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. He told Timothy, You need to teach others to teach others. It's a great concept, isn't it? One of the most efficient ways that we do that is with preaching schools, good solid schools like uh, the Brown Trail School of Preaching in Fort Worth and Southwest down in Austin, the Memphis School of Preaching, uh, you know, good schools here in the Brotherhood that need our prayers. You know, Brother Kevin Rhodes uh, is just taking over the helm there at Brown Trail. Certainly he, he needs our prayers as he uh, fills the void that was left by Brother Stapleton when he went on to his reward. And uh, down in Austin, of course, Brother Don Walker passed away a couple weeks ago, and so the elders and the staff there are in need of our prayers as they go through this period of transition and fill that void as well. And uh, one of the things, if you look at a map of the world, all of the countries in green are considered by most people to be third world countries. And typically speaking, in third world countries, when we train men to preach the gospel there, three out of every four of them within two years will quit preaching and go do something else because they can't afford to feed their families. And most often, that fourth man is able to continue because he's receiving support from American churches. Brothers and sisters, that's not sustainable. It's not healthy. And uh, one of the students that actually at Southwest that we supported our task when he came through, Brother Daniel Saki, uh, he's a native of the nation of Liberia in West Africa, and he wanted to be a, a gospel preacher. He went through the expensive and difficult process. He obtained a, a visa and came here to America, spent two years here at Southwest studying the Bible, learning how to preach, learning God's Word, and he's gone back home to Liberia now, and now he's there spreading the gospel and training other men to do the same. And I've been in contact with him and kept up with him. Great things going on there. We need more men like Brother Saki. But the problem is, since that time, we've had an election cycle. And uh, wall or no wall, it is difficult to get a visa to come here to study. And in November, I was privileged to visit with Brother Walker while he was in the hospital. And we spent some time talking about the Lord's Church and, and, and the work that needs to be done. And one of the things that he talked about was that very thing, that he was personally aware about half a dozen men, like Brother Saki, who wanted to come, had, had applied multiple times to get that visa and could not get here. And so we need to be training men to preach the gospel in other countries as well. And so I want to introduce you to a good friend of mine, Brother Gage Coldwater. He's the tall one in that uh, picture there. Uh, in 2010, he was traveling overseas and, and teaching in some of the, the preaching schools that our brethren have established in other places. And uh, while he was there, one of the things that was impressed upon him was that Every single student, every one of them, asked him the same question. He said, Brother Caldwell, when you get back home to America, could you support me? Every one of them. 
There's no way he could do that. Maybe one or two, but not all of them. So he asked them, he said, why? If I gave you money, what would you do with it? And they all had the same answer. They said, we would buy food for our families. Well, he, he grew up on a farm. So he said, well, why don't you just grow your food? He said, well, Gage, we don't know how. Well, if somebody could teach you how to do that, would you be willing to do it? They said, oh, that would be great. Because then we could grow our own food, and we wouldn't need support, and we could preach. And so that was in 2010, the Manna Project was born. And so Gage started traveling around to some of these preaching schools and teaching these men of God. So microagriculture to where in very small plots of land, even in urban environments, they could grow food, enough food to, to feed their families and have crops left over they could sell at the market and then buy clothes and shoes and some of the other things that their family needed. And there's been great demand and great success with that. And that's where my hobby comes in. <laughs> uh, this, this summer, Brother Coldwater contacted me. Several of the areas that he's been working are in a very narrow area of land known as the Coffee Belt. It's uh, area, land that is close enough to the equator. The climate, the climate is very tropical. But it's in mountains and the altitude is high enough that coffee grows. And several of the preachers there were trying to grow coffee and kind of struggling at it. And uh, so he contacted me. He said, would you travel over there and, and look at their farms and see what they're doing and teach them some things that they can do and, and try to help them grow those, those coffee farms, teach them what makes their crop more valuable so that a hipster would pay $6 for a cup of it. So I see some of you, all right. <laughs> and uh, so I was privileged to do that this past summer. I spent two weeks over there teaching the preaching school and, and visiting with those coffee farmers and, and learning from them and, and teaching them some things. I, I've continued to, to work with them and, and, and to try to help them establish contacts and, and find outlets for their crops. I've been very encouraged by what I've seen there. Those, the, the, these men who, who are preachers, they have goals in, in what they're doing. And first and foremost, their goal is to be able to support their families so that they can preach the gospel. And that in and of itself is wonderful, isn't it? Amen. But they, they have their eyes set beyond that. They, they said, Brother Hopkins, we want, we want to have profit. We want to have money left over after we've fed our families. And what we want to do with that is we want to feed some of the orphans and the widows in our villages because there's a need. And they said, the reason we want to do that is, that is that we believe that when we do that, when we show the love of Jesus to those around us, that that will create opportunities to share the gospel with souls who otherwise might not have listened to us. <coughs> and I'm encouraged by what I see there. They're not looking for a handout. They're looking for a hand up. And so I'm, I'm continuing to, to work with these brothers. And, and I, I have a goal of buying all of my coffee directly from them. But to do that... I've got to buy 34,000 pounds at a time to be able to ship it here economically. So if you know somebody who drinks coffee, send them my way. <laughs> I want to help these, these men of God. And uh, so I want to talk for a few minutes about the state of the church in Africa. And please understand as I do this, I'm painting with a very broad brush. Are you with me? So that being said, the church there is about 50 years old. Uh, about 50 years ago, through various evangelistic efforts, uh, from the church here in America, in the UK, the gospel was taken to Africa and the church was planted. And since that time, there's been a very large dependence on American funds. Remember what I said, you know, three out of four men, that fourth guy is getting supported by America. So what that means is, if the American money stops, the church tends to dry up. 
And along with that, there are very few local leaders. Right now that I'm aware of in the nation of Uganda, there is one congregation that has elders. The Lord's Church at Isangara last year appointed two shepherds. That's it. We need more leaders in the local church in these areas. And to do that, there's got to be some teaching and some training and some growth that takes place. And so that is why at the Manor Project, we teach men to preach the gospel. And as we train them, we teach them four things. Number one, we teach them to know the book because you can't teach what you don't know. So they've got to know the Bible. Number two, we teach them evangelism. We have a very heavy focus on evangelism. All of our students every week are going out into the villages, uh, holding Bible studies, preaching in the streets, holding gospel campaigns, knocking doors, sharing God's word. Because again, that's the main thing. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Number three, we teach them leadership. Because after two years, they go back home to their villages with a head full of knowledge. They're the leaders in the congregation. And uh, they, they need to know how to deal with that. And also, again, we need to grow those leaders, those elders and those deacons who will lead those congregations and, and take over these works. And then number four, we teach them agriculture. And uh, we, we teach them specifically agriculture so they can support themselves. I've been asked, well, why, why do you only teach farming? Why don't you teach uh, carpentry or, or ele electricity or something like that? Well, the answer is simple. If we teach a brother to be an electrician, he's a, he's a good electrician. As long as he can get a job, that's great. But if there's nothing being built, he can't eat those wires. But if we teach him to farm and his crops don't sell at market, he can still feed his family. And so we're trying to keep it simple in that way. And so we're doing this. We've got three preaching schools. The first and oldest of these is the Renzori School of Preaching in Kisesi, Uganda. Uh, the second is the Modale School of Preaching in Modale, Cameroon. And the newest is in Talawanda, Tanzania. And the design is, each of these schools is designed to be self-supporting through farming. That our, our students and our teachers support themselves by farming while they're there at school. And then when they leave the school and go back to their villages, they continue to do that. And so the work perpetuates itself. And of course, we also hold seminars and gospel meetings, teaching things like agriculture and evangelism, Bible class teacher training, and, and things like this, both in Africa and also here in the United States, for the benefit of the Lord's people, so that local congregations have the tools that they need to be successful in the work of the Lord. And then we also assist other mission works in some of these ways as well. And I'll talk about that more in a, a couple of minutes. I believe that this idea, this model is very biblically based. You go back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, God put Adam and Eve in the garden. He gave them a J-O-B, didn't he? Their job was to dress the garden and to keep it. They were farmers. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, as God is expelling Adam from the garden, he says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat bread until you return to the dust. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. He says, You were taken from the dirt. You're going to go back to the dirt, and while you're here, you're going to work in the dirt. Proverbs chapter 27, verses 23 through 27, the wise King Solomon says, in essence, take care of your flocks, take care of your fields, and they will take care of you. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 3, we move into the New Testament. The first time we're introduced to the great evangelist Aquila and Priscilla. What are they doing? 
Well, they're with Paul, making tents to support themselves as they share the gospel with others around them. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul says simply, If a man will not work, neither should he eat. And so I think there's a very strong biblical foundation for this model of training men to go out in these countries and in these areas. And so <clears throat> I've been invited uh, last year to come on, time, come on board full-time with the MANA Project. And my role, I'm the academic director. Doesn't that sound fancy? I, I didn't come up with that. But basically what that means is that it, it falls on my shoulders to make sure that when these men go out, they have the Bible knowledge and the skills that they need to do the work that they are to do. And uh, I'm very excited to be doing that. You know, this summer I was uh, over there in Uganda. And I was very encouraged by the hearts for truth and for souls that I saw there. You know, I, I taught courses on evangelism and on marriage and the family, dealing with things like God's design uh, for the home, His law of marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and, and the godly relationship between parents and children and how that should, should function. And some of the questions that were asked showed a genuine love for truth and love for souls. One of the things they, they asked, they said, but teacher, we go out and we evangelize and, and we convert a man to Christ, but he, he was a Muslim and he has two wives. So obviously for him to repent, he's got to get rid of the second wife. What happens to her? Does he kick her out into the streets? Can she continue to live in his house but not as a wife? Is he obligated to care for her in some way? And, and if so, how does that work? How can she be cared for so that ultimately she can be reached with the gospel too? You see, they're concerned about souls and the consequences of sin, which sometimes are not felt until you repent. But they're not willing to compromise truth for the sake of what's convenient. Amen. And so as, <clears throat> as I'm doing this, I, I'm structuring the curriculum on kind of a block schedule. We've got four academic tracks, and each track uh, gets one day of the week dedicated to it. Uh, the first of these is, again, Bible knowledge. And I have a heavy focus on memorization. That way, you know, these men, when they go back out into their villages, uh, we're not teaching them Greek and Hebrew, how to write blogs or books or things like this, because they're not doing that. They're going out into the villages and they're, they're evangelizing. So I want to be sure that whatever resources they may or may not have, they have in their heads what they need to be able to share the gospel. <coughs> the second of these tracks is fundamental Bible doctrines, dealing with uh, the doctrine of prophecy and being able to, able to properly interpret those things and, and weave them together and understand that the Old Testament and the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed and to see the scheme of redemption through the Bible. Uh, to be able to understand denominational doctrines and world religions and, and how to uh, address souls that are caught up in those areas and reach them and bring them to the truth. The second or third, we deal with biblical leadership uh, the work of a preacher and how to be effective in, in counseling uh, people who are dealing uh, with problems in their home and in their congregation and in their village. Uh, qualifications of elders and deacons and, and the work of these godly men and how they work together to, to lead the church and how the preacher works together with, with those men. And then, of course, agriculture. Now, you notice I said there's, there's four tracks. Each track gets a day, but there's five days in a week. That's because agriculture gets two days. Farming's hard work. <laughs> of course, the students still have farm chores every morning and every evening because they've got to eat what they grow. Uh, but there's going to be two days where, where they spend some intensive time and, and, and being taught and then out in the field learning 
how, how to do these things so that they can successfully support themselves when they go out. And the reason I've, I've structured it in block schedule this way, I'm very excited about this idea. Uh, again, you know, there's, there's very little local leadership. And, and, and the men that we have there in each of our schools, there's you know, 10 to 13 students who've left their villages. And for two years, they're there at the school. They live at the school. They study at the school. They farm at the school. That's where they are for two years, and that's great. But there's a lot of other men who would like to study, who would like to learn, but they can't leave their villages for two years. They're, they don't have that luxury. But maybe they can come down the mountain one day a week. They can come every Monday for two years and complete the track in, in Bible knowledge. Come every Wednesday for two years and complete the leadership track. Come every Friday for two years and, 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 and complete the course on Bible doctrines. And in the course of eight years, they can complete the entire program. I'm hoping this way that we'll be able to train up the elders who eventually will oversee this work. And this preaching school will be not ours, but theirs. And there won't be any need for us over there. We'll have to go do this somewhere else. Isn't that the way God would have it to be? I'm excited about that. So I want to talk very, very briefly about these three schools and things that are going on. Uh, the, all of these is the, the Renzori School of Preaching in Kasesi, Uganda. About three years ago, one of the natives there, Brother Musa Benara, reached out through social media to a good friend of mine, Stan Crowley, down in church, just north of San Antonio. And uh, he said, Brother Crowley, we need a preaching school here. You need to come and you need to see. And they went back and forth for a while, and eventually he, Brother Crowley went, and he saw, and he was impressed, and he immediately contacted the man project, said, you need to get out here. We need a preaching school. And so land was, was donated, and, and the local brethren came together with their own hands. They formed those mud bricks, and they stacked them. They built the school building, and uh, the, the, there's a farm there on, on the land. And, and that's been operating now for, for three years. So the first class of students has already graduated, and these men are out now faithfully preaching and teaching the gospel. And uh, they're about eight or nine hours ahead of us. And I, I was able to see on Facebook that uh, today, uh, because of the work of, of our graduates and our students, uh, there are at least four souls added to the Lord's body in Uganda today. And uh, so, so these men have, have gone out and they're faithfully preaching and teaching and then the second class of students is halfway through their course of study now. And they're there studying and, and, and learning. And uh, they're on the school, as I mentioned, there's a farm. They're growing several different crops and, and plants. They're also, they've got rabbits there. That's a great way to grow meat quickly because they, well, they multiply like rabbits. <laughs> and uh, they've also got goats there. You notice what those goats are eating? They're eating the trimmings and the waste from the farm. You see, we, we, we take the waste from that and use that to feed the rabbits and the goats. And then through the processes that God gave them, the rabbits and the goats take those waste from the farm and turn it into compost to fertilize the fields. And so everything kind of works together and, and, and helps itself. And so they're also keeping bees there. And those bees, of course, provide honey they can eat and sell in the market. And they go out and they pollinate the, the, the crops on the farm. And uh, this summer, they had a fabulous okra harvest. And that meant that every meal that we ate, they served okra. <laughs> they chopped it up, threw it in a pot of water, and boiled it. It was kind of like eating snot. <laughs> But thankfully, they also had a corn harvest, so we showed them how to uh, make cornmeal and how to bread that okra and southern fry it. You should have seen their faces light up when they learned it could taste good. <laughs> <laughs> but here's why that matters. The Lord's Church in Kitswamba, this is a village where some of our graduates are working now and where some of our current students have come from. 
You notice the church building there, all that tall stuff, the entire church ground is under cultivation. They're growing corn and squash and, and, and okra and beans and all of these things. And, and when we were there, there was an area, uh, prob probably this big a square, piled six feet high in the back of the auditorium with, with beans. And I asked the preacher, I said, what is all this? They said, well, well, that's our bean harvest that we pulled in. We're processing these beans, all these crops that we're growing. This is our food pantry. This is how we feed the poor in our village. The average Ugandan gets by on a buck twenty a day. They don't have anything. But because they can grow food, they can feed the poor in their village and evangelize and reach souls. And uh, you see all those kids there. About <clears throat> two years ago, there was a political event, we'll call it, in Uganda. The National Army of Uganda ended up uh, raiding the palace of the king of Renzori, that, that district there, uh, arrested the king, and murdered about 200 citizens that day. That day, all 26 of those children became orphans. But the Lord's church in Kitswamba, without a second thought, took all of those children in as their own and began teaching them about Jesus Christ. They're able to do that because they're raising the food that those 26 mouths eat. You see, it's about more than just farming. It's about the impact that it has on lives that reaches souls with the gospel of Christ. One of the first things we noticed when we got there was the uh, moringa tree. It, it, it's native. It grows wild there. And uh, <clears throat> we, we asked the, the brethren, they said, what is this? They said, oh, that's nothing. It's a trash tree. It, it, it's not good for anything. And I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's one of the most nutrient-dense botanicals on earth. And if there's anybody here that's kind of into health foods and holistic things, you, you, you've probably heard of the moringa leaf. And it's got seven times the vitamin C of oranges, four times the fiber of oats, nine times the iron of spinach, and the list goes on and on. It's very healthy stuff. And uh, it, it's almost tasteless. You can add it to your food or drink it in a smoothie. You can steep kind of a tea with the leaves. And so what this does then, you know, you take kids that eat nothing but rice and beans, and you add some of this to their porridge, and they're getting the nutrition that they lack. And so we taught the students there uh, to, to cultivate this. It's growing there on the school farm. I'll introduce you to Matthew. First day we got there, uh, we, we got back and we were eating dinner and over dinner, Greg was talking and saying, you know, the, the rabbits are doing okay, but the breeding production is not quite where it should be. He said, you know, there was this young man a couple years ago that I, I bought some rabbits from. He knew what he was doing. He had a good operation. I wish there was some way I could find him. and Maybe he could help the students learn how to breed their rabbits. And we were talking about this over dinner. We get back to the lobby of the hotel. And there stands Matthew, the very young man we've been talking about. He'd heard that a couple of Munjungos had come to town, you know, a couple of white guys stand out a little bit. And uh, he wanted to know if there's any work he could do. So Greg hired him on the spot. He's working full-time now there on the school farm, making good money, 20 bucks a month. And uh, so that the next morning, he showed up bright and early, worked a full day, worked a hard day there at the farm. And one of the things we learned during the course of that day was that his wife was pregnant. And so Greg went and got some of the leaves from the moringa tree and gifted them to him and explained how he could use those to make a tea for his wife to, to be like a prenatal vitamin, gave him some of the seeds so he could plant his own moringa tree. And the look of gratitude on that young man's face was priceless. By the way, since then she's delivered a healthy baby girl. And at the end of that day, Matthew didn't go home. He went to Mbusa. He said, can you... Can you teach me the Bible? I want to learn about Jesus. And I asked him, Bruce, about this uh, a few weeks ago, and he said, yes, uh, Matthew's still coming and studying, and we are teaching him. 
You see, it reaches souls for the gospel. Uh, the Model A School of Preaching in Model A Cameroon is about two years old. The first class of students will be graduating in April. Uh, it is very well situated. It's right up against the Kumba River, which makes it easy to irrigate the fields for the crops that they're growing. And of course, uh, those crops feed the students and the faculty, and they use that also for benevolent work. And uh, they're doing a lot of great things every weekend. They're going out and holding gospel campaigns, and uh, they're going into areas where largely the gospel has not been. And so many weekends, they're establishing new congregations. The only problem they have is there are more villages requesting them to come than there is time to reach. So great things are happening there. And uh, by the way, if you've seen the news out of Cameroon, uh, things are not going so well there right now politically. The, the English speakers and the French speakers are, are, are fighting. It was in November that the uh, French-speaking army rounded up a, a Baptist missionary from America and executed him. Said, this is what waits any more American missionaries who come. That was about an hour and a half from the school. So Leah has said, I'm not going to Cameroon for a while. Uh, so the brethren there need our prayers. But the Lord's church is thriving and doing good work, even in that difficult situation. And uh, right now, uh, the total budget for that school to, to take care of all of the students and all the faculty is $500 a month. And after when those students graduate, we're going to shut the school down. And we're going to have the faculty focus with no students there on growing the farm and increasing the crop production so that in a few months when we take more students, that budget should be zero. The Talawanda School of Preaching in Talawanda, Tanzania. Uh, if, you know, you've probably heard a lot of people talking about going to Tanzania to do mission work. Picture Tanzania kind of like a big triangle. Up here in the north in Arusha is the Andrew Connolly School of Preaching. Kind of here in the big middle of the country is the Chimala Mission where Brother Bob Stapleton spent a lot of years. Uh, huge mission work going on there. Uh, kind of down here between those at the apex of the triangle is Talawanda. It's on the east coast right near the city of Dar es Salaam. It's about 10 hours from Chimala, about 12 hours from Arusha. And uh, it's an area that's controlled by Muslim majority. And that means there are a lot of opportunities to share the gospel, a lot of souls that need to be reached. And uh, so land was donated there about a year ago, and construction began on the school. And there's been a lot of work going on. They've been pressing bricks and, 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 and building buildings for the school and for dormitories. And one of the things we're doing there that we're going to do at the other schools as well is uh, they've built you know, the, the dormitory for the single students, but then also some bungalows where the married students and their families can live, and the wives and their children will be there at the school with them. The wives will be required to attend some of the classes with their husbands, but they will also be doing some of the work there at, at the farm around the school to help keep things going. And so I'm very excited about that. Uh, but this year there have been no students there. And uh, you know they've, they've been busy farming. They've been raising ducks. They've got goats and rabbits and, and, and pigs and chickens and, and, and a number of crops. And uh, this fall, they brought in their first corn harvest, 54 bags of corn. And that yielded 11,000 pounds of edible corn, another 3,000 pounds of cobs that they're using to feed the hogs. See, everything works together. And based on that 14,000 pound harvest, students will begin studying there next month in March. And that school will be totally self-supported based on that harvest. I'm excited about that. And you see Brother Maurice there. He's the director of the school. You see that big old smile on his face. You see, we haven't just given him an opportunity. He is a partner with us in the work. And with his own hands, he is supporting the work of the gospel that's being done there. We've given him 
also his dignity along with that. And uh, as I mentioned, this is an area that's controlled by a Muslim majority. And, and so we began doing some searching and looking and, and asking, does anybody have evangelistic material to reach Muslims? We couldn't find any. So we created some. Begins in the Quran and establishes from the Quran that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah that should be sent, and that the scriptures revealed in the New Testament offers all authoritative, all sufficient word. From there we move into the Bible and establish that Jesus has all authority and talk about the one true church that he built. And then we move into lesson three of those studies I mentioned earlier, bring that soul into Christ, prepare them to share that faith with others. These studies are being used there now. And they've been translated into uh, five or six languages. And again, these are available for free for anybody who wants to use them. As I mentioned, we help other mission works. The Chamala Mission is, is, is a big operation. They've got a hospital there that every month now burrows over 200 babies. There's doctors there that are performing life-saving surgeries, treating illnesses, going out into the villages and helping people. There's a preschool, an elementary school, and a high school there, all of which use the Bible as the primary text. And even the Muslims in the area send their kids to that school because that's the best school. There's a preaching school there and the mission work that's going on, a lot going on there at Chamala. And all that translates to about 700 mouths to feed. And uh, so right now, Brother uh, Gage and his family are there at Chamala for six months uh, working on that farm and, and, and redoing some things and showing them how to get their production up. The goal is uh, by the summer when he comes home to have the farm production up so that that mission can be totally self-supported by the farm there, that it can take care of all of the, all of the food needs there. We're also hoping then to be able to use that farm to bring other men from other places in Africa and train them there and show them what's possible and what, what can be done. And the whole idea is we're, we're farming God's way with everything working together and supporting itself the way that God intended it to do. And the outcome of it is a bountiful harvest, crops that feed mouths, that reach souls for the glory of Christ. And again, it's about more than the, than the farming. <clears throat> One of the places where it can make an impact is a place like Karendi. Uh, the Lord's Church in Kalealeo, where, again, some of our graduates are working and some of our students have come from there. About a year ago at Kalealeo, they built a new church building, and then they had a problem. That building was too small. So they said, what are we going to do? So they looked around at the nearby village of Detande. It only had one church. It was a Pentecostal church. So they went down the mountain to Detande and taught the gospel, converted that entire church to the Lord. And members from Kalealeo went down, joined themselves to that church, began teaching them, helping them to grow. Church building is still too small. So they said, what do we do? And they looked around in Corinthi. They found eight souls who every Lord's Day morning would get up and walk three and a half hours to get to worship and then walk three and a half hours home. Brothers and sisters, we are blessed. Amen? Amen. So they said that's the spot. And of course, I, I, I got a myriad of requests for help while I was there. But that request in particular, I, I had from the support that was given to me for that trip, I had $130 left over. So I gave them that $130. And with that, they rented a building for a year, put pews and a communion table in it, and sign out front. That was it late June. And they started with eight souls. With the blessings of the village elders, began preaching and teaching. And uh, 
just, just this afternoon, the, 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 the preacher there was uh, uh, messaging me saying, Brother Hopkins, we've got a problem. Our building's too small. Because the church has grown and, and, and their numbers have swelled. Uh, they've got over 20 souls there now. And one of those baptisms there, by the way, was a, a fellow who uh, was visiting family. He lives in Congo. He came, was visiting family, and he heard about this new church. He wanted to come see what, the, what this was all about. And he learned about Jesus Christ, learned about the gospel, became a New Testament Christian, and went home to Congo to a village where there was no church. And so this young church at Karendi made plans and went to have a gospel campaign, establish the Lord's Church in Congo. And uh, one of our, our students there was at, at the school is from Congo, and he's been trying to convince me. He says, you, you need to come to Congo and, and visit us. It's very safe, because whenever you land at the airport, the first thing they do is they give you a soldier with a gun. He'll go with you everywhere you go. <laughs> I said, Daniel, if I need a soldier with a gun, I ain't going. <laughs> but they can go, and the gospel can reach them. So what can you do? Visit our webpage, anafarm.org. While you're there, subscribe to our email list. We send out regular updates about the, the, the things that are going on, the, the needs, and, and uh, the prayer requests that we have. And uh, again, check out the coffee. <laughs> uh, if you're on social media, like and follow us on, on Facebook. Again, I, as I mentioned, they're about eight or nine hours ahead of us over there, depending on the time of the year. and so. They're already in bed, but this morning as we got up, they were just finishing their Lord's Day. So it's exciting to get on Facebook and see all the things that, that are going on. Of course, you can find me on Facebook and friend me. Uh, they, they tag me in a lot of those posts. And uh, I'm looking for some individuals and congregations to partner with me in this work. I need support for my family. I need support to cover the expense of my travels back and forth. And one of the things that I'm doing uh, there are several books and resources that I'm requiring of these students that there's no way they can afford them. And so I'm going to need to provide these things. And while it may be a step backward from the self-supporting model, I believe that it's worth it to provide them these tools and, and resources that they need. And so I'm asking for some one-time help to get me going in 2019. I'm under the elders of the church in Natalia down in South Texas. And uh, brothers and sisters, I, I covet your prayers and your encouragement. I'm excited to be able to, to, to do this, to reach souls with the gospel of Christ. And, and keep in mind, again, that's the main thing. And here's the thing. If you are outside of Christ, you have no part in it. You are outside the kingdom, outside of all of the blessings that our Lord has to offer. <clears throat> but you can come in. Simply by placing your faith in Him, changing your mind about the life that you have lived and deciding that you're going to live for Him, making that good confession, being buried with Him in the water of grave of baptism, just as those 3,000 were done in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Maybe you haven't done that this evening. What better time to become a part of the kingdom that will never end? Maybe as a child of God, you realize there's some things in your life that, that could be better. Maybe there's some things you've said or done or things you have left unsaid or undone. And you need forgiveness. Maybe you just need prayers for, for strength or, or for wisdom or courage to do more, to do better. Maybe it's something or somebody else. Is that not what the family of God is here for? Let us pray with you and for you. If you are subject in any way to the Lord's invitation this evening, 
Won't you please let it be known by coming to the front while together we stand and while we sing.